Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Tuesday morning, the 12th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We'll begin today with issues relating to the health service. The nurses' strike is over with an overall pay increase of 2.5% on the boards, introducing a new grade in nurses with increases of between €1,200 and €2,500 for some nurses. The increases will cost up to €35 million a year, but with knock-on claims, the real cost is as yet unknown, and many will ask, who is going to pay for this. Meanwhile, the government will announce how it's to cut health spending by €50 million, save €30 million in transport and make an additional €20 million cut to spending because of the overrun in the delivery of the National Children's Hospital. The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, will apologise to the doll today over his handling of the project, but we'll begin today with an apology. An apology for from the HSE. The HSE apologises to all staff and patients in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan because of a rodent infestation. The hospital has once again seen parts of it closed because of rats and mice. Uh, this time it was uh, the Kitchenette Medical Assessment Unit and uh, the Kitchenette Female Medical Ward because of a rodent infestation. Uh, the HSE does say that it apologises for any concern that this caused and I'm sure that it did cause quite a lot of concern. Uh, let's hear a little bit more about this now. We're joined by Padder Tobin who's the chair of uh, the Save Navin Hospital and uh, the leader of the AIM2 party. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, the HSE says that no patients were placed at risk, uh, but that's unknown, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it, the detection of rodents uh, in a kitchen uh, in any hospital is a shocking turn of events and it's of grave concern to patients. And these animals uh, can carry diseases and you know, nobody wants to be able to, nobody wants to be convalescing in an area that's accessed by rats. So it's absolutely not good enough whatsoever. And now I understand that there have been building works that have been taking place uh, near to the kitchens in recent times. And I understand that they figured that this is the source of the rats. And I also understand that the food that has been um, prepared in recent times hasn't been prepared in areas close to 
the uh, uh, where the, the rodents were. Um, and I also understand that this is historical as such, so this isn't happening at the, uh, currently, that there are pesticides companies in at the moment on a weekly basis, that there are drain companies in on a weekly basis, mm. making sure that the uh, the building is now safe in that regard. All right. Uh, are you sure that's uh, the case? Uh, because uh, this time around, uh, I think they found uh, a rodent of some sort in a sink, didn't they? Uh, which was similar to the last time around uh, and a dead rodent uh, in uh, the medical assessment unit. It's, it's, it's absolutely wrong, and it's, it's shocking that it's happening. And in, in a way, it's actually related to the second item uh, for discussion uh, today. Our latest hospital has been dangerously underfunded for decades. And if you go up to the hospital and you talk to people there, you know they will point out all of the difficulties that they have with the structure mm. of the building, uh, all of the difficulties they have with the technology in the building. And, you know, that is visible to, to the naked eye with regards uh, walls and ceilings, etc. Mm. It's also uh, invisible. It happens with regards to drains uh, as well. Is it fit and for purpose? The reason that underfunding is happening uh, over the last number of years is because the, they, our ladies' hospital in Navan haven't been given the money that they, they need whatsoever. Mm. And they have to actually cut back uh, money and services sometimes to deal with the capital costs that they're dealing with. And underfunding is a serious issue in our hospitals and underfunding causes serious damage and it causes threats to health and that's why it's shocking to see this situation where we have the the uh, national children's hospital completely balloon mm. uh, out of all proportions uh, with regards to cost and everybody knows in the country now that this money will be skimmed off a rake of different other infrastructural projects around the country. Everybody who's waiting for money to, to do simple infrastructural uh, improvements in their hospitals, in their schools, on their roads, etc., will know that that money now is going to be in short supply for but doing when, that. When, when you look at uh, the state of Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, as you say, uh, I mean, it has been neglected for such a long period of time. Uh, it's quite dilapidated looking at in parts. Uh, and we hear of rodent infestations. I think this is uh, the third time, wasn't it? A year or two ago when uh, the rat fell through the roof uh, into the coffee shop. Um, but uh, this is an ongoing problem because uh, they can't seal up the building. Uh, is it fit for purpose? Well, this is the, the way that our uh, uh, health service is run, it's, it's run in a haphazard fashion. So in 2010 and 2009, we were having discussions about how the government said there was a, a, a need for a new regional hospital to be built in Navan for the whole region. And now we're told um, that that's not going to happen whatsoever. Mm. And so the government struggle on with the infrastructure that they have. Um, there's no planning to this. The, the level of investment in this country, people don't realise this, it has been second lowest in European terms for the last 10 years. Only Romania beats mm. Ireland with regards to the lowest level of infrastructural investment. And the problem is, around elections, you know, people don't talk about infrastructural investments. They but is it fit for purpose? My view is, and this is what I've been told by the people in the hospital currently, is that everything has been done to fix the problem there currently. And while this issue has arisen three times in the last while, Mm. they are focusing on making sure that it's not going to happen again. And that's why they have the pest control companies in there. That's why they have the drain control companies Mm. in there. And also I want to say, because you know this this may cause fear amongst uh, uh, patients and people in need to access the hospital. Well, it should. 
But the, but the truth of the matter is, most people will tell you when that they go to that hospital mm. that they get wonderful. Ah, yeah, uh, but uh, but but they were being cared for alongside the rats and the mice last month, uh, and uh, it, it seems as though that uh, will happen for the foreseeable future. But and and, and but the, the problem here is lack of investment equals infrastructural problems, which equal threats such as this in hospitals, and that's why people mm. like myself have been calling for years and years for the government to get real with regards to infrastructural investment. The government gave 1.5 billion euros back in tax breaks to upper income earners uh, in the last three years. Mm. The, the, the National Hospital, uh, Children's Hospital, which is a, a scandal of phenomenal proportions, has seen its price uh, uh, go up to about 2 billion euros. The, mm. the, uh, Four, 450 million overrun uh, and 100 million to be saved this year alone as a result. Now, you could build a Navin to Dublin rail line twice over mm. with the overspending that's happening currently in that hospital. That Simon Harris is pouring hundreds of millions of euros. He thinks it's monopoly money as far as I'm concerned, but he's pouring that money into a giant hole currently under National Children's Hospital mm. in Dublin. And the really sad thing about this is Irish politics is full of a culture of getting away with it. So nobody is ever held to account so nobody is, is ever forced to make the proper decision so this doesn't happen again. And it looks like that uh, Simon Harris is going to make it through this particular crisis again. 750,000 people on uh, waiting lists for hospitals, 110,000 people uh, on trolleys last year, 300 people dying of hospital overcrowding, 2,500 kids currently waiting uh, for their first mental health services. And we, ha- we now have this crisis in Dublin, and yet Simon Harris will be given a free pass by Fianna Fáil. The lack of accountability in Irish politics equals these types of crises. And these types of crises with regard to spending equal issues such as rodent uh, infestation mm-hmm. in, in local hospitals. They all add up together. If you join the dots, it, it, it's just absolutely shocking. And like I've been talking to parents this weekend who have been waiting for schools uh, in County Meath, and they've been telling me that they are really fearful now that <clears throat> they'll be next, that, mm. that, that the education building programme will actually be slowed down or cut back in some ways um, to facilitate Simon Harris's uh, over uh, overspending on the hospital. You know, in, in, in Meath, from Kilbury to Drumcondra, there's 126 square kilometres of land where there's virtually no mobile phone signal. And that's happening because there isn't uh, telecommunications infrastructure spend in Meath. We're suffering from the lack of broadband mm. in 80% of the geographical space in Meath. There, we are crying out for proper investment in our infrastructure, and yet at the same time we see Simon Harris fitter away such amounts of money and get away with it. It seems as though the Minister has successfully concluded uh, the dispute with nurses. Both of uh, the unions are, are not commenting at the moment. They did speak to reporters at the WRC yesterday, but the INMO and uh, the PNA have at least called off uh, their strikes. Uh, do you think that's the end of it, or is this action delayed? Uh, it's uh, a complicated deal, it, it would seem, uh, that it is uh, being proposed and will be put to members. Uh, have you been able to make any sense of it? Well, first of all, I welcome uh, the fact that a, an offer has been made by the government and that the strike has been called off by the unions um, because uh, as the weeks were going on, this issue was getting uh, very, very serious with, with individuals having you know, mm. um, operations and appointments that they've been waiting for, sometimes in, in the case of years, uh, being postponed again. So I welcome the fact that that's happened. My instinct in all of this is that the terms and conditions and payments for nurses and other healthcare professionals 
need to be of an international standard because we live in an international market where workers go where the pay and the conditions exist. And simply, if you're not competing with regards to pay and conditions, you don't have the health professionals you need to run the services. And a lack of health professionals means a lack of capacity. And a lack of capacity means uh, waiting lists of 750,000 people. It means trolley counts of 110,000 people. So we have a moral responsibility to be able to staff our health service. Mm. Uh, and that's not happening currently because uh, of and conditions. the the uh, proposed deal uh, would see a review of nursing practices uh, take place. Uh, and so that might make up part of a, a longer term solution. Uh, but there could be a question of younger, newer nurses uh, being sold out once again in order to pay for this. Sometimes the unions, when they're under this type of pressure, in my view, do sell out younger workers. And mm. we saw that in 2011 and 2012 for new entrants, especially into teaching and, and, and other professions such as that. And this time um, around, it's the 0.2 increment uh, that will be skipped as a, a, a result so that it can pay for this new grade of nurse. Well, if, if the government go down the route of uh, creating unequal uh, pay for equal work, what the government are actually doing is they're, they're postponing... Uh, yeah, not the, the government, the union. Well, <clears throat> the, the government are making these offers as well. So, um, it, listen, there are, well, there the are two... The union is called off to strike uh, 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 on the basis of uh, making up a new grade of nurse so that they can be paid more. Well, my uh, understanding in in order they, to fund it, you'd skip point two uh, increment for nurses and midwives. Uh, and then there would be also a saving, uh, they say, uh, in agency staff, which I'm sure has been tried many times over. Uh, and uh, then there's uh, the question, of course, about uh, the cost of this overall if there are knock-on claims. Well, first of all, um, the agency staff issue is really important. There's about €100 million Euros uh, being paid currently extra over and above what should be paid with regards to agency uh, staff in hospitals. And that happens on the basis of the fact that the government are, are completely understaffing the hospitals and in emergency situations they have to pay agencies to fulfil those roles. Mm. And that's a waste of money. And that's, you know, a couple of years ago the government made an effort to try and end agency staff. And we were told that agency staff would no longer be employed mm. in the hospitals, but they failed to realise that if they don't pay international rates uh, or, or provide conditions in which people can work safely, they're simply not going to be able to employ people directly. And whatever decision mm. is made, all I'm saying to you is, mark my words, in the same way as you had unrest with regards to teachers, when many teachers were asked to work in, in rules mm. for unequal pay, if you create a situation where there's unequal pay in nursing yep. and in other health professionals, you are just creating unrest for the future. What, what do you think of what the uh, unions have achieved in all of this? Would it be right to say that this is a win for the government? Because the nurses claimed uh, that they were overworked and underpaid. They wanted an increase of 12%. They're to get an overall increase of 2.5%, way below what they were looking for. They're to increase productivity, so they're to work harder, and they're to have young nurses pay for the increases that those who were there four years or, or, or more will enjoy? I'm going to reserve my judgment with regards to this particular um, uh, uh, proposal by the government until I've seen the details of it fully and until uh, we actually see the response of the unions as well. Um, I think for the interim, though, many people will breathe a sigh of relief mm, yeah. that the, the uh, strike has been called off and that people will be able to access 
uh, their appointments over the next couple of days, and especially, and we discussed this just last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. especially those uh, cancer patients across the country um, who felt that, uh, and who had some of their treatments delayed. Uh, I know that many, many people had, you know, felt very bad for those uh, cancer patients. And, you know, anybody who has been under the dark cloud of cancer in their family will know that there is an instinct and, and, a, and a pressure to receive your treatment as fast as you can in all of this. What we do know is that in this, this government's health service is absolutely broken. And we know that we have a minister who's getting a free pass, I believe, from much of the media, not yourselves, but from, from, from many others in the media and from the political establishment on a range of different issues. And I think that the political establishment in this country have to introduce something called political accountability. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, some of the headline figures with regards to health service there a couple of minutes ago. Those figures are so startling. I believe each one of them individually should be a reason why the minister has no right to continue in, in, their, in his role. The minister, Simon Harris, should be gone. But the only reason he's not gone is because we have a Fianna Fáil government who are paralysed by Micheál Martin, who are unable to uh, put pressure uh, on Fine Gael. They are the backbenchers to the Fine Gael frontbenchers. And as a result, we see this type of crisis in our health service. So, you know, if we want to reform the health service, we have to reform the political system. And we need to have elected representatives with the backbone to do the right thing by their, by their constituents and not always be looking at is their seat safe or what does their minister think. I know for a fact the reason why Fianna Fáil won't go to, the, uh, to, uh, to put pressure on Simon Harris at the moment is they would need to be able to threaten the general election to do that. And they won't go to the general election because Fianna Fáil are languishing in the opinion polls. And so therefore they're actually putting their own seats over the, uh, the health service. They, they should be willing to actually stand up for the health service, come hell or high water, mm. you know, completely independently of whether they keep their seats or not. Doing the right thing as a politician should be more important than keeping their seats. Okay, well, Fianna Fáil obviously will tell us uh, that there is pressure on, that they're unhappy, and that there's also 45 days before Brexit, uh, and that is the thing uh, that has uh, their minds most of all focused. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, though, and thank you, as always, for joining us here this morning. Patter Tobin is an independent TD in Mead West and leader and founder of a new political party called AIM2. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, as you probably know, the M1 Corridor project was launched yesterday. Uh, this will set up a new regional business corridor running from Drogheda through Dundalk and on to Newry. Marie Kearns was one of the many people in Bellingham Castle to hear the Minister for Housing, Owen Murphy, explain how this project will attract more international investment into the region. This government is absolutely committed to the M1 Corridor initiative and we've shown our commitment before with the national planning framework for example and everything that we want to do I mean it's one of the five key regional drivers for the next 20 years as a result of that now being in our plans that's where the funding is going as well so we had a recent announcement from the urban regeneration fund for new funding into the into the area we're going to be opening up for another round soon I know that my department and the representatives from the area here and local authorities in the chambers have been in discussions about what kind of new projects could be funded But the M1 Corridor Initiative just makes sense for the country. 
and so that's why the government's behind it. The Minister for Planning, Housing and Local Government, Owen Murphy TD, speaking to me yesterday at the launch of the M1 Corridor Project, a major new initiative to challenge Dublin and Belfast for international investment and deliver jobs to the Drogheda, Dundalk, Newry region. I asked the Minister what he hoped the initiative, which has been driven by Dundalk Chamber, Drogheda and District Chamber, the Mill Enterprise Hub and the Oriel Enterprise Hub would achieve. Well, I think what makes this stand out to other things that I've seen recently is that it's been led by the community. So it's been led by the Chambers of Commerce, it's been led by the Oriel Hub, uh, the Mill the Mill Enterprise Hub. But they've come together and they've put together this brilliant initiative. And so when we looked at the planning framework on the government side, when I was dry- drawing that up with my officials, it was to see, well, you know, if we want more compact growth outside of Dublin, if we want people to be, have less commuting times in their cars, if we want to think about our carbon footprints and how much we're moving around, if we want to think about sustainable connectivity, what parts of the country can, can answer those questions? And in the M1 Corridor Initiative, we have that, I think. And because it's been led by the community and because we're happy as a government to work with them and to try and bring funding where we can bring funding and to get the message out globally as well as we will be over the week of St. Patrick's when ministers go abroad to promote investment in the country, having something like the M1 Corridor Initiative to hand to say, look, 2.3 million people within 60-minute drive. You're connected to three airports, the two biggest cities on the island. There's four deepwater ports. There's road, there's rail, and there's all these fantastic internationally successful businesses already there. Why wouldn't you come and invest? And so it's such a strong message now. I really think we're going to be able to capitalise off it. This cross-border M1 initiative aims to drive international investment into the region by highlighting the enormous advantages it has as a superb location for investment. Central amongst these advantages is the connectivity of the region as the transport and broadband backbone of the island. Brendan McGrath? Ireland's site head for Wuxi Biologics, Ireland, was one of the many business people at the launch. He can already see the benefits that this M1 corridor has to offer. One of the reasons that we chose Dundalk was the fact that there's such a great catchment area of qualified people. Uh, You look at the numbers that were produced today, 2.3 million people within 60 miles. So for us, it was a a very obvious choice. uh, And that allied with the uh, advanced factory site that the idea had provided. People resources are very tough to get in Ireland at the moment. And uh, the fact that there's such a great catchment area here uh, is going to help us in getting our facility up and running. We have recruited some key roles so far. Main recruitment will happen probably the end of this year and then into 2020. And would it be your hope that the workforce would come from within this region? I would love to see an opportunity to give people jobs in their own area and not have to face the long commutes that they do at the moment. I tra- myself travel up from Swords and I see the traffic going south, though I would hate to be uh, facing that route every day. There's a great opportunity here and you know uh, people are looking for quality life and new roles and new opportunities so if we can offer that as well as offering a job in a very uh, sophisticated and very uh, technologically driven uh, facility you know we, we take a lot of boxes for people then. At the launch yesterday there was very much an emphasis on Drogheda, Dundalk, Newry, the M1 corridor. I asked Councillor Sharon Tolan, a Fine Gael councillor in East Meath, where does Meath and I suppose East Meath fit into all of this? When you're talking about economic benefits for the area you're talking about the whole region and there are no borders today so it's Meath than Louth together uh, you know the Drogheda and District Chamber cover many many businesses in the East Meath area and uh, it's all about growing that economic corridor that runs all the way through from East Meath right up to Dundalk and Newry. 
It's often been said that there's no kind of IDA land being pushed in the East Mead, the Drogheda area. Is that about to change now? Well, I can tell you we have an economic uh, development team that's headed up by Kevin Stewart um, and our chief executive, uh, Jackie Maguire, are working very hard on behalf of the people of the region, Mead and Louth, to ensure that uh, we attract FDI into the the area. A lot have mentioned about the numbers. I think it was 80,000 that leave this area, this M1 corridor, work. Is it hoped that this initiative will help people to stay in their locality? Absolutely. You know, you want to have areas for people to live, work and play is, is the motto in Meath anyway. And, uh, you know, it's important that we, we don't have people sitting on those uh, motorways for 60 minutes, 90 minutes at a time, getting to work and coming home from work. It's important that we get people good qualities of life and uh, jobs in the area. Anna McKenna of the Drogheda City Status Group was also present. I asked asked her firstly if she welcomed the initiative and if this was a coming together of Drogheda and Dundalk to try and sell the region as a whole. Oh yes of course we welcome anything that will bring prosperity to the area um, it's worthwhile and well it's a coming together of everybody to try and sell it Drogheda has been ignored over the years it's been known as the Cinderella city of, of the area and the IDA have a park in Drogheda and it's on the east, it's in the east side, so it doesn't benefit Drogheda at all. Are you hoping that this initiative will change that, that there will be a focus on Drogheda and the IDA will try and bring jobs to Drogheda as well as the entire region? Well, I think it might open open people's minds as to the importance of Drogheda, where it sits on the East Meath and the emerging population of over 80,000 before the northern Varns come up and it's going to have about 5,000 houses in it. So the whole area is opening up. So it's an area on its own with East Meath. In 2007, the commission, the electoral commission, gave Louth an extra seat because they were bringing in East Meath into Louth. And at that time, they said that it was emerging in with, with, with Drogheda. We believe now that it is with Drogheda and it should be recognised as such. And that's why we feel that, that Drogheda and that whole environs should be known as one place, City of Drogheda, the engine to drive that area and be recognised as that. Eddie Phelan of Drogheda Chamber of Commerce believes that by working together, much can be achieved for this region. Both chambers have recognised the strength of this region, the beneficial position we're in being at the centre of two of the economic drivers for the country, and we're going to leverage that to see what we can do to boost economic development uh, for the region, which in turn will boost the, the benefit for pretty much everybody here and anybody who is planning to come here. This is a strategic plan. What do you hope it will deliver? I hope it will get the message out there that uh, Drogheda and Dundalk are not just two small towns, that they are very fast-moving, forward-thinking locations and a great place to live, a great place to do business. Councillor Dolores Minogue is a Fine Gael councillor in RD. I welcome this M1 corridor initiative. It's Drogheda, Dundalk and Newry and my fear is that RD Midlaird is going to be left out of this. I have requested at a local motion in our local municipal meeting at the weekend that RD would be mentioned and this be part of it. My fear would be, where it's brilliant news and anything to create employment is excellent, but my fear would be that RD would not be mentioned again until 2040. So I would be hoping that after today's event, and I will speak to the Minister, that RD has a mention in this programme and we're also part of the vision. And you're on board with the whole idea of trying to keep workers in this region? 100%. I, my fear 
again is that we'll become a commuter region. We need to get employment back into the area. RD Midlaid was always known as an industrial town and that's what we need to get back. We need to get good skilled paying jobs and keep the people off the roads and working locally and which would be excellent for the local economy. I asked Pat McCormick, President of the Dundalk Chamber of Commerce, what he hopes the initiative will achieve in the long term. What we want to see is the developing communities and businesses in this area. So people aren't looking to say, well, I've grown up in Dundalk or Drogheda or Carrickmacross. I need to go to Dublin or to Belfast or to somewhere else. But to be able to turn around and say, do you know what? There's, there's a pharma hub in Dundalk. There's a financial hub in Drogheda. There's a, a payment hub in Newry. And I want people to be looking at those and saying, I can go there. I can build a career there. I can start my own business there. I can build that strength in, in the local economy and the local community. And that's really what we're about. Would you envisage a spread of jobs throughout the region? Absolutely. The figure that we pushed out there and we said most often is when you look at, at the same figure that the IDA and Enterprise Ireland use, which is 60 minutes travel from the centre of where you're talking about. So we're talking about everybody who's within 60 minutes travel of the centre of Dundalk and Drogheda. This isn't about making Dundalk or Drogheda better or bigger or whatever else. It's to look at that wider community and it has to be about the wider community. This is reaching out into Monaghan, it's reaching out into Meath, it's reaching out into everywhere else around, into Cavan, up and down, nearly into the outskirts of Belfast and to the the north side of Dublin. Don't worry about it. Come out of the airport, turn left. Come on So instead of that great Drogheda-Dundalk divide, this is a coming together Look, it's great to have that rivalry, be it about football or whatever else it may be about. When we look at it all, it's about the communities, the economy, where we all live and how we work together. Marie Kearns reporting for us on uh, the launch of the M1 Corridor Project. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the legacy of uh, the troubles on uh, this island. Uh, the Stormont Assembly has been uh, suspended for some two years now and responsibility on legacy issues remains with the British government as a result. Last week, Sinn Féin hosted a number of families in Brussels under the banner of the Time for Truth campaign and met with MEPs from across Europe to discuss how people have died and lost their lives and uh, the uh, people responsible for those killings have never been brought to justice or the truth, for that matter, made known. Uh, Rory Omurku, who's a Sinn Féin councillor, was in Brussels uh, with uh, family members last week and he's on the line. And a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us here uh, this morning. Uh, You met with MEPs from across Europe uh, in relation to some of these issues, but realistically, what you should be doing is meeting with MLAs in Stormont, is it not? Well, the reality is here it's the British government and to some degree the Irish government that have the power in relation to this. Europe is just a means of leverage in order to bring about some element of pressure onto the two governments and to agree with mechanisms that were agreed during the Stormont House Agreement negotiations. And this isn't Sinn Féin calling for this. This is the families. Mm. And the time for truth, obviously, as you stated, mm-hmm. is literally a collection of family groups who um, represent people that were here. They're, they're families of people who were killed directly by the British Army, by the RUC, and by loyalists operating in collusion with um, British state forces. Yeah, such as uh, Seamus Ludlow and Seamus Ludlow's family uh, were represented uh, and uh, with you in Brussels last week as well. Yes, no, Jimmy Fox, a nephew of Seamus Ludlow, um, was out with the group, um, as was I. 
obviously here a major part of here Dublin Monaghan bombings, etc. Like mm. there has been a serious impact by particularly collusion in this state. That's not even the talk of obviously the killings within the north. And we had the Dundalk bombing in 1975, uh, where two men were killed. That's Jack Rooney and Hugh Waters. And then we had Seamus Ludlow. And uh, the Glenham gang are believed to be responsible for uh, the Dundalk bombing. Like That was basically British agents, I don't know whatever term you could use, who were operating with a degree of impunity, you know what I mean? Mm. And here they carried out acts north and south, killed upwards uh, here 100, 150 people. Yeah, notorious and, and ruthless. And, yeah, and no, 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 mm, mm, absolutely. Mm, yeah, and mm-hmm. some of them absolutely prolific and operated for years. Um, and then you had the killing of Seamus Ludlow. Mm. And this was a case where, again, two members of the British Army were involved in the killing. The Garda investigation was wrapped up after three weeks. The family would have serious difficulties in relation to the fact that untruths were told, that the family would have been split for a number of years on the basis that information given to them was Mm. that Seamus Ludlow was killed um, by the IRA as an informer. Yeah, well, there were lies told. There was absolute Mm. lies told, yeah. Mm. Which obviously compounded... Well, Seamus Ludlow wasn't a member of the IRA and he wasn't an IRA informer. He was a, a man who was out for a few pints walking home. That's uh, it, a forestry worker. Yes, yeah. going about going about his business. And literally, he was incredibly unfortunate. And it now looks like there may have been information beforehand that this team, our uh, gang or whatever mm. term you want to use, was looking to carry out a killing in the South. Um, we've had the case following this where... Um, there have been basically witness statements given of who was there on the night, who was involved, mm. etc. And the family would have a difficulty around the fact that there had never been arrests um, or, or anything like that. And then in this case, we had the Barron report. Mm. We had basically recommendations that there would be two commissions of investigation and none of these have been followed up on. And that would there have been a failing of mm. successive governments, basically a failing of the state mm. uh, to look after a citizen of the state who was killed by British agents operating. Yeah, yeah. aided and uh, abetted, uh, it would seem, uh, by members of uh, the British security forces, uh, quite possibly covered up them by uh the British authorities, uh, certainly questions uh, for the British authorities uh, and... Uh, and for the, the Irish authorities well, also. Well, I was, I was just going to say that the British authorities have never been cooperative uh, and uh, that was uh, one of uh, the recommendations uh, from Judge Justice Barron. Uh, but there's uh, as many questions for the Irish authorities as well, isn't there? Oh, no, no, un- undoubtedly. That's the, that's the difficulty. Seamus Ludlow was an Irish citizen. Um, a 19-day mm. investigation obviously doesn't cut it. You then discover later that the, the Gardaí and Justice and whoever else were aware of the fact of what exactly happened and who was involved. Mm. You had, as I say, a man giving an, uh, giving witness statements where he stated who was there and what exactly happened and you know no arrests were made. So you can only judge that there were... On the very best day, absolute failings, north and south. Mm. And I, I would have a view that 
you know, you can probably present that as being slightly worse than that. But this comes back uh, to my original question about uh, getting the institutions back up uh, and running uh, because there's many legacy issues, uh, as you know, Rory, and uh, Tom Oliver was uh, an ordinary man going about his business and wasn't a guard informant, according to many local people listening to us this morning, yet uh, was executed by the IRA uh, and... There's many questions about that, uh, and as serious the questions uh, as those that uh, the Ludlow family would have in relation to the killing of their loved one. And this comes back to the legacy issues and how they may be dealt with, and there's Stormont House legacy mechanisms which have uh, been uh, already proposed, and indeed how funding should be made available for them to be implemented, as proposed uh, by Lord Chief Justice Declan Morgan. Yes, no, here uh, we have called literally that money should be supplied straight away for um, for for the inquest to be held. You know, so people can at least find out the truth of what happened to their loved ones, or a truth yeah. commission. Well, we have always called for some sort of uh, modalities like that. But in Stormont House, we agreed to um, the Historical uh, Investigations Unit, which would uh, allow, obviously, for investigations. Because every family is different in what they want. Some people want truth. Some people want want, uh, justice. There are people who would want convictions. It's completely up to the families what they want to um, we would be in support of that. Um, so there was three mechanisms agreed. That's the HIU, and um, that was an oral history type situation where people would be able to give some sort of stories and an information retrieval process, would, which would allow people to get information that they may seek that might be quite difficult to get, given the fact that certain people are protagonists or people that would have been involved in the conflict mightn't necessarily be willing to give information that was going to lead to their conviction, etc. But some of this information may be possible through a modality such as that. Mm. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin Councillor Rory Omurku. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to all our listeners. Marie from Drogheda hopes that the deal with the nurses won't open the floodgates from other workers in the public sector. She supports the nurses because she feels they are worked to the bone, as she puts it, and don't get enough pay, but she wouldn't be in favour of anyone else getting a rise. Okay. John says, did the nurses not get 7.5%, not 2.5%, Michael? Glad the strike is over for the nurses. They work damn hard for their money and are very kind. I was in hospital for two weeks and I saw the stress they were under. They get a lot of abuse from some patients, says John. Okay, well, uh, the deal, as I understand it, uh, is worth 2.5% overall to the 37,000 nurses. Uh, Some nurses uh, will see an increase of uh, 7%, uh, but that will also include pay increases uh, that has previously been agreed. Theresa from County Meath can't understand why Mr Harris is allowed to stay on in his job. She says that the people of the country will be paying for this overspend for years and she feels that he should be gone. On another note, she doesn't like the criticism of Navin Hospital. She says, thank God it saved my life on two occasions. 
and we have a lot of ministers in Meath, Michael, it's time they got it off their butt and did something for Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. Mm, it's a rat trap, Judy. <laughs> Wouldn't it be just the same crap, says John and Drogheda, no matter who was in government. They're all great at promising things to get into government, but mostly when they do, all that was promised is forgotten about. As far as I'm concerned, says John, they're all the same. Hmm. On Navin Hospital, Mary and Trim says that money needs to be invested urgently in the hospital. Another listener worries about the condition of the hospital and says that it's not fit for for purpose at the moment, that it needs investment. And really, Mm. it's been run into the ground. Mm. Well, it's a very worrying situation. I mean, I don't think anybody likes the idea of uh, being that close to rodents, uh, whether it's in your home or if you're going into a restaurant or whatever the case may be. But when you're sick and vulnerable and below par in a hospital bed, it's all the more concerning. Well, Sean from Drogheda wonders if we're not being a bit too hard on Navin Hospital. There are rodents everywhere mm. in the winter time, and it's very hard to keep them out, no matter how vigilant you are, say Sean. Well, that's true, but uh, there's a question of uh, proofing in the hospital. Uh, there's a question of pest control, uh, and uh, it's a question of an ongoing repeated problem. This is the third incident which has resulted in parts of the hospital being closed down by uh, the Food Safety Authority. Speaking of hospitals, Michael, and the nurses strike being called off, if I could just get a little bit of information out there, the management of Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital was in touch just to say that outpatients clinics in both Our Lady of Lourdes and Louth County Hospitals will run as normal today and patients are being asked to attend at their scheduled appointment time. Going to Charlie from Navin, who was very interested yesterday in one of the comments uh, from listener from a listener who suggested that nurses should effectively sign a loyalty clause to ensure that they'd stay in the country for a number of years after graduating. And Charlie was making the point in relation to all the workers that took a hit during the recession and accepted it and got on with what they had to do. But where was the loyalty shown to them from the government? The government wants us to be loyal to them, but we don't get loyalty in return. Okay. <laughs> Another, listen, John from Navin. Uh, I want to make a comment in relation to the settlement yesterday that was announced in relation to the nurses' strike. He just thought there was very cynical behaviour, political behaviour by the government, that Ministers Harris and Donoghue were at government buildings ready to give a press conference before practically the deal was announced. Did they know beforehand that it was coming down the line? He thought the Labour court was independent and that they wouldn't get that information so quickly and wonders how did they know and when did they know he thought it was political opportunism at the best well there's two sides in the dispute and uh, the proposal was made to both sides and both sides have uh, decided uh, to uh, agree in principle the government is recommending the proposals or or the ministers are recommending the proposals to government to the INMO uh, is to ask its executive uh, to take a a look at them so uh, I suppose the proposal was known to both sides and I don't think there's anything cynical in it at all Kevin from Dunleer took exception to comments you made, Michael, yesterday in relation to a comment from John 
a listener who phoned in to say that he had voted for Fianna Fáil for over 40 years but that he wouldn't be voting for them again because he thinks they and Fine Gael are basically the same party. But this, you suggested it must be a Shinner phoning in. Mm. Well, Kevin took grave exception to this. What proof do you have of that, Michael? I thought it was very disrespectful to the man who took the time to phone in. It is a comment line after all. Mm. And you should really keep... Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Your opinion to yourself. The BAI says, <laughs> Kevin, says that you should be independent. Uh, stop, so stop, why make this stop, comment? Stop, stop, <laughs> well, stop. Well, stop. I mean, I know, I know a politically charged comment when I hear one. Hold that thought for a moment uh, because the Union of Students in Ireland is uh, to distribute 30,000 shag packs this week. Uh, these packs will include condoms, lubricants and information on consent, sexual health and contraception. Let's hear about shag week with... Uh, Damien McLean, who's Vice President for Welfare with uh, the Union of Students in Ireland. Good morning to you, Damien, and uh, thanks for joining us. Shag Week uh, is a provocative term, uh, but we should point out uh, that it stands for Sexual Health Awareness and Guidance, and it's an annual event that is carried out in conjunction with the HSE. That's absolutely right. Thanks for having me on. We are running the Shag Week event, which, as you said, is the Sexual Health and Wellbeing Week, and it's aimed mostly at students, so that they can be more informed about not just STIs and contraceptives, but also consent and also um, options available to them in the event of an unplanned pregnancy. All right, and uh, one of uh, the options that is available, as we've been hearing uh, this year, is, uh, of course, uh, the idea of terminating that pregnancy. It's the first time that the students have been able to give advice on that. Absolutely, and I think what was very clear from the referendum is that in the event that you do need to go for a termination or an abortion, it can be very difficult for the students involved and it can be a hard decision to make. So by promoting the My Options helpline, which provides counselling, provides the supports that we all know that students need in these difficult circumstances, we're giving them the information that they need and the support that they need. Uh, and you're also warning against 
rogue agencies uh, which are, are mimicking the My Options website. Absolutely. I think what we all agreed on was that students would have the, they would have direct information and that it's their choice, you know, that it's bodily autonomy, that they need to be able to make the decision. And if you're trying to make the decision what's being fed information with an, uh, with an ulterior motive or without the patient's concern at, at, uh, at the centre, student-centred care, then that's when there be issues, you know, because like, that's mm. what we need. We need to support the best students the people going in. All right, and as you say, that's uh, the choice in a crisis pregnancy, and I, I assume uh, that, like uh, the rest of the population, uh, there's a small percentage of people who, who make that choice. Uh, in order to prevent a crisis pregnancy, you're distributing the condoms and contraception advice, uh, and uh, then uh, there's uh, the information on consent, uh, which is the ultimate choice, isn't it? Absolutely. Like it, it, <clears throat> we're we're already familiar with consent in some forms. In that consent is just asking permission and good communication. It's positive communication, and we know out we know without a doubt that consent, communication is, is vital in any relationship, and that's really what we're promoting when it comes to consent. We get the impression that some young people, some students, have a, a confused understanding of what consent means. Well, I suppose, given that it's been in the media, it's a new topic to a lot of people. And consent may sound like some concept, but we're running workshops all across the country this week. Um, Consent workshops to get people just communicating better. You know, when it comes to sex, people can be awkward talking. And the workshops that we're running, we're running one in Waterford IT today. And we just want people to feel that they can talk about these issues. And that's what the consent workshops are about. Yeah, and uh, to have the capacity to consent, uh, which is always a, a big issue, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I suppose uh, capacity consent, it's just people understanding what is consent, you know, because uh, that's, uh, that's, it's clarity around the issue. Mm. Saying yes after a bottle of vodka isn't consent, in other words. Well, it, it depends, I suppose, what it comes Or not necessarily it, consent. What, it it's so hard for me to give yes and no to all Mm. these questions because communication is so uh, vivid. What we say is we say consent is fries. And it's kind of a checklist for students to go off. So it's freely given, it's retractable, it's informed, it's enthusiastic and specific. So informed. Whenever we talk about Mm. if somebody has taken alcohol, if they have to be informed about the decisions they're making, so that's where it comes into it. It comes into have they given consent. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure many students uh, will be looking at this because of uh, the initiative uh, that uh, you've uh, launched again this week, this annual event, Shag Week. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, Damien, and thanks uh, for joining us this morning. Damien McLean is the Vice President for Welfare with USI, the Union of Students in Ireland. Uh, now, let's uh, quickly go back to some more of your comments, Marie. You have one or two more there. I have indeed on uh, Simon Harris's situation and wants to know, is there any point really in bringing a motion of confidence in Simon Harris before the Dáil because it's very unlikely he'll be forced out. We've seen it countless times before where ministers and state agencies have been called out on their actions and called to be held accountable but in the end they ride out the storm, batten down the hatches and carry on as normal and that's what Anne thinks will happen.
All right. So we'll finish on that one, Michael. Okay. Thanks, Anne. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number, 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to one of uh, the most important uh, stories in this locality and uh, the behaviour of a consultant in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. Once again, Michael Shine has been found guilty. This time on 13 charges of indecent assault during medical examinations at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda and at two private clinics in Drogheda between 1971 and 1982. One of the people he assaulted is Pat Cusick, who is in the studio with us. Good morning to you, Pat. And Good morning, Michael. Good morning, listeners. Thanks for coming in to us. Uh, we've uh, spoken to you. It's a long time, actually, since we last spoke to you. It's uh, 2009, Michael, since um, we spoke and we went live outside the Dáil hmm. uh, 10 years ago. Trying to bring attention to this, trying to get some justice. At the time, it was to secure a, a meeting with the government at the time uh, and Mary Harney eventually as we know, mm. after four days, gave in and gave us the forum to to initiate a meeting, which transpired in getting a review by retired Judge Smith. Since then, obviously, the criminal proceedings have continued. And here we are ten years later with the phenomenal result of the other day after mm. four weeks. And Shine struck off the medical register. Struck in off the medical register in between. Uh, trial two years ago, 2017. Mm. Obviously convicted in that. Um, against two complainants, against wasn't it? Against two yeah. complainants. Mm. And but seven complainants this time round. S- seven complainants this time. Mm. Every charge carried um, five charges against myself to hear all the guilt, uh, guilty verdicts coming out was just huge. Okay, you were 11 in 1974 uh, when you first encountered this man. 11 in 1974, going as a sick child. My parents, as you did, being good parents, tried to get you sorted in the hospital, in a place where we thought we were safe. And due to his actions and um, inappropriate sexual abuse, he he robbed me of my youth. Um, I was only... As I got heard through counselling, I was only 11 years old. I used to think it was my fault even, mm. but that's the way it was. That's what this man was responsible for. What were you in hospital for at the time? I went in for uh, stomach cramps. Uh, I was uh, having bouts of diarrhoea and, and, and stomach cramps and pains of both sides of my stomach. Quite quite unwell. Um, but I, I, you know, I met my first examination with this man entailed what he did to me and it was nothing got to do with stomach mm. cramps. Yeah, he sexually assaulted you. Are you comfortable yes. talking about... Uh, very, no, I'm I'm not very comfortable, but I'm comfortable. I know that uh, I have the ability to speak out. I want to, I want to give that mm. uh, uh, out there to people to give them maybe inspiration. Do you want to say what he did to you? Because there yes, are still people who will contest it, who will say, no, he was a good man, he was a great doctor, and so on. Well, I, I have to say, this is the forum to do it. Last Friday was vindication of what he did. But what he did to me was far from a, a medical examination. He examined me. Um, he first examined my stomach and my glands, and then he went and 
pulled my underpants down to between my hips and my knees and then began a very thorough uh, scrutiny of my genitals. And for people that mightn't understand that one, that was basically my penis and my scrotum. At the same time telling me that I was a good boy and I was a lovely boy. He then initiated, uh, I didn't even know what it was at the time, 11 years old, you don't know these mm. things. Uh, uh, he simulated masturbation with me to the point that I became very sore. And then he was disturbed. Uh, he, he he pulled my pants back up and uh, told me I was a good lad. He was going to go out and speak to my parents who were sitting right outside the door. He then informed them that he was going to perform another little examination, um, which basically was an anal examination. He explained to my parents this was further part of an examination. Uh, He had failed to mention the detail he'd gone into earlier, but he went back into the room to me and then uh, proceeded to uh, insert a digit, a digit being a finger, uh, into my back passage and at the same time um, with the other hand groped my penis and testicles um, telling me I was a lovely boy uh, then when he was finished it felt like forever but uh, it was only a couple of minutes but when he was finished he duly said I'm okay and the other doctors would be coming in and he went over and he took his glove off and continued when the other doctors come into the room. All right, and if ever anybody has doubted the accusations against Michael Shine, uh, we'll reiterate he was found guilty of exactly what you've just told us uh, last Friday uh, in court. Uh, You were somewhat unfortunate as a a child uh, with your health, I take it, because you found yourself back in hospital uh, (laughs) and uh, came across him again when you were about 13, I think. Yeah, uh, no. When I was thirteen, when I was thirteen, I never went back to the hospital uh, of my own free will. I didn't mm. uh, follow up. And, uh, no, sorry. Yes, of course. Uh, I was I was only twelve, Michael. Actually, I I I I collapsed with the with the pains in my stomach, and ended up as an inpatient in an emergency case. Shine Julie performed surgery on me with a surgical team, and then. I was in hospital for nearly 20 days and he then performed what I would call his acts on me every day for 19 days. And I would have to describe it as hell on earth. A very sick young lad. I used to focus on the lights and people in the area and listeners will be aware of the lights and cement works of Platten or out in Dulik. There was a red flashing light used to be on it. I'm only after seeing it coming up today and I had great difficulty in even driving by that because it used to bring me back to 1974. I used to focus on this light to take me away to a distant place um, so that he would, so that the pain and the hurt of what he was doing to me would go away. Sadly, it never went away after that. It was always there. Um, I was irreversibly damaged, I would say. And uh, I just got out of the hospital after that. I never went back of my own free will. 
Um, but I went back when I was 19 on another emergency because I had aseptic meningitis. And I woke up one day to find them still with the audacity to come back to me. But I, I in no uncertain terms, told them what to do that day. And um, that was it until the other day, until four weeks ago when we sat in court. And there he was again. And I have to say, despite his age and despite the, mm. the, the many people I've heard, I'm feeling sorry for him. Mm. He is still the same age. He was 40 years old or in his late 30s when he subjected me at 11 years old and many, many more. Um, so I don't see him any different. I don't see the 86-year-old man. Um, I see the same guy who came to me, Dr. Michael Shine, who came to me, who abused me. Uh, I'd like to mention Bernadette Sullivan, if I, I can. Uh, Bernadette was a, a nurse in the hospital and uh, turned whistleblower and brought this uh, to the attention, I think, of everybody in uh, the country and went on to establish the health group Dignity for Patients and has done Trojan work in terms of bringing about justice for you and, indeed, others others who have not been in court who feel vindicated by the judgment uh, that you've celebrated, I would imagine, in the last couple of days. And uh, the Dignity for Patients group is there for anybody uh, who wishes uh, to speak about uh, any uh, interaction that they had with Michael Shine or any inappropriate action that they might have had with other mag- medics. Uh, there's a website, dignityforpatients.org. Uh, there's an email address, support at dignityforpatients.org. And there is a telephone number, which is 0419843730. And that is there as a helpline if you do wish to speak to somebody. And we'll repeat those numbers in a few moments' time. But as you say, Pat, you left the hospital then uh, and you took with you those memories. I don't think uh, you look back for quite some time, uh, but I'm absolutely amazed at how vivid the memories are in your mind. I've described this before. You know, after going through this trial for four weeks and and you're subjected to horrendous cross-examination is all I can say it is, uh, because every facet, every detail is gone over in a demeaning, almost demeaning way. When this happens to anyone, bar you have a catastrophic injury uh, affecting your memory or you have the misfortune of getting dementia or or a direct memory failure, you never, ever forget. I can smell this guy. I can still smell his his catonic breath. I can still feel him. I I still get pins and needles. Uh, I get goose pimples in the back of my neck. I was physically feeling sick, but I kind of got used to them over the last four weeks looking over at him. Mm. His demeanour is still the same. His voice was the same. You never, ever forget. It's very vivid. People may dress it up. Oh, well, how can you remember? It's hugely historic. It's 45 years mm. ago. It's and, and these were the ago. arguments he was making, I think, in court. The, the, he was saying the, the, it's too it, long ago. He couldn't remember, didn't remember you. Absolutely. He was too old. He's 86. He was suffering from a bit of dementia himself and so on. Look, that that defence was, mm. was, it's laughable for anyone out there. If you have a bit of dementia, you have dementia. I know myself, I was a nurse for years. Dementia is a, 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 a progressive uh, illness mm. where your brain cells die. You don't just get a bit of dementia and not have a bit the other day. 
his memory was totally intact. He gave a very vivid account of his life. He gave a very vivid account from every day that he qualified in 1955. Mm. Under cross-examination, he could tell that he was 16 months here, 18 months there. He was a doctor here, Birmingham. He moved to Windsor, Scotland. Mm. There was a lot of people on his side, wasn't there? Absolutely. I mean, Bernadette Sullivan will tell you how she was ostracised when, as a nurse in the hospital, she tried to bring complaints forward. Uh, You brought complaints yourself to one of the nuns in the hospital. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I brought, and, and you know, I'm going to tell you the story, Michael. Mm. Uh, this nun, was uh, I, I was well known to her, um, kind of an in-law, but not blood-related. But uh, I thought that I could surely tell her that something wasn't right. But being a nun, you couldn't really say exactly the physical component of it. But I said, I didn't like this doctor. He's not a very nice man. And she said to me, OK, Patrick, it's OK. Don't say that about the wonderful Dr. Shine. He's a great doctor. And indeed, on my last day, do you know what the nun arrived with? She arrived with a box of chocolates for me to say that I'm going to give this in now to the nurses' station for Dr. Shine and the nurses. But that was then. That was 1974. We can go into being complicit. Yeah. Mm. We can go into the conclusion, collusion aspect I just hope that these people did not exactly know what was going on because it would be very damning for everyone. But the memory of it does not go away. The memory for those people, that's why I often refer to the silent voices of of abuse. The memory does not go away. It's still as painful, it's still as vivid as it happened yesterday. How are you today? Because uh, I think uh, you've spent your life struggling with it. Today, Friday, I became free. Friday, I came off the roller coaster of emotion, hurt, and pain. Friday, I celebrated a chance of closure. Friday, I hope, brings closure to what I believe, in my opinion, Michael, mm. the most prolific sexual serial abuser in Western Europe. It will be found out to be that way. So people can bury their head in the sand all they want, but he will be found out to be this. This is only the tip of the iceberg. But Friday delivered, hopefully, closure. And and I want to thank, I also want to thank you personally and the station for the wonderful, wonderful work they have done You've stuck with this campaign so long. There's one other person I want to mention. I won't mention his name, but he's a guard who's been involved in the investigation of this criminal trial. Ten years of his life he has given without failure, presenting everything, despite defence, despite every objection ever made, despite an awful cross-examination which he had in the box. And he stuck with it. And I, I celebrate, I commend on Garda Shea for the manner in which they con- conducted this inquiry. And I know it mm. met great, great resistance. And I want to commend them. Uh, I suppose I have to commend the justice system, which I, I, I had no faith in for many, many years, that we eventually arrived at, at justice for these people. And I hope now that I can get on with my life as best I could. My sons were there with me the other day. My wife was there. It was hugely, hugely emotional. And 
I just want to send a message out there to people that if you have been abused in whatever facet or area, please come forward for help. Michael has details there of helplines. This station will always help someone if they need it. They'll always get a contact number. Look it up in the net. Look up somewhere. Please, please, please speak to someone. You don't have to allow abuse to continue and, and, and fester in, in your soul and in your mind for years. There is help and it can be lessened greatly and hopefully people will get justice. We must put an end to institutional abuse, to clerical abuse, to this sort of abuse. Well, you've been talking for a long time. I don't mean today, Pat. Uh, I mean, for many years at this stage, uh, it seems uh, to me that finally somebody has listened and finally somebody has believed you. You have been believed. Shine has been found to be telling untruths. He has been found guilty of some of the most horrible things that one human being could do to an innocent child and this is what happened to you at 11 years of age. It left you with many demons to fight throughout your life. Uh, I think uh, the demons have been shown the door here uh, here uh, with your best friend as well uh, who's uh, sitting beside us and it's great to see that pack because we've been talking over the years and uh, it's great for you and for Bernadette and uh, all of the other people uh, who weren't represented in court directly because I think you were representing them. Exactly. And there is one thing I want to put out there. Michael Shine, although convicted the other day, carried out and perpetrated every one of these things. He will never ever show insight, he will never show an apology, he will never show empathy because such is his chemical makeup. and I'm sure people are saying God how can he say that but this guy these people who perpetrate or who are serial perpetrators of this are chemically made up this way so there's no such thing as fixing them <laughs> and he it, came up with every excuse. Yeah. Uh, he even blamed LMFM at one stage. <laughs> oh, he, he, he blamed LMFM yeah. and, and it was mm. even brought up at the mm. trial. But believe me, Michael, I, I stood, I, I flew the flag well for LMFM. Oh. Without LMFM's forum mm. and, and the amount of resistance which you met, and I am aware of it, that ha- went down through the years, you know, I didn't let anyone dissuade me because, as you were doing all the time, Michael, telling the truth. That's all we were doing. We were simply telling the truth. And when you're telling the truth, you cannot be wrong. Truth won out. Congratulations for winning, Pat. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone out there. Thank you to everyone for all the support. God bless you, LOF. Thanks, Pat. Uh, can I just uh, read out the contact details? Again, for Dignity for Patients, uh, dignityforpatients.org is the website. Support at dignityforpatients.org. The email and the landline number is 041-984-3730. Thanks, Pat Cusick. Michael Michael Reed Reed on on LMFM. Now back to the big health stories or the politics of health as the case may be. Kevin Doyle Group, political editor with INM, Independent News and Media, is on the line. Good morning to you, Kevin, and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, I suppose health has uh, dominated public discourse in recent weeks. It'll certainly dominate uh, dull proceedings today. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 literally all anybody in Leinster House is talking about. Even Brexit has had to take a momentary backseat uh, because of the the I suppose combination of of rows and controversies uh, emanating from the Department of Health and that are having to be dealt with by the Health Minister Simon Harris. Um, so today, a series of things will happen as we speak. The cabinet. Uh, are meeting to discuss how they're going to put uh, 100 million euro extra unplanned money aside for the children's hospital this year. That'll just be the first instalment of the the 450 million euro overrun. Mm. Later in the day, we'll have Simon Harris in the doll um, apologising uh, for perhaps not being as forthright as he should have been around the whole uh, escalating cost. And then in the background to all of this, uh, we have the nurses' unions uh, and the Department of Public Expenditure assessing the cost uh, or the implications of the deal that was struck last night at the Labour Court. Okay, and uh, I suppose uh, the hope in government is uh, that the nurses will accept this proposal. Obviously, the strike action has been called off for now, but this has to go to uh, the executive and then ultimately to members. Yeah, it's far from far from certain that it's over. Uh, it's certainly um, a step in the right direction, if you like. The fact that the three days of strike that were, were supposed to happen this week have been off I think that was a relief for everybody involved mm. because from the government side, uh, they needed some good news in the Department of Health. Uh, things had become uh, just day after day of negative front pages. So so the ministers, uh, Pascal Dunning and Simon Harris, needed something to give on that score. But also for the nurses, they were going to face into uh, three more days where they'd be on picket lines and losing pay. Um, so at the end of this week, there would have been six days pay lost on the back of the strike and also public support I think may have started to wane somewhat um, with the chaos that would have ensued from three days in a row because up to this point it was day on day off Uh, but if you were to have three days back to back uh, what that would do to waiting lists and other uh, scenarios in hospitals where we couldn't really be sure. Yeah it's a mystery as to whether the nurses will be happy with uh, what uh, the unions have uh, been negotiating on uh, their behalf uh, because uh, they feel overworked, underpaid and it seems as though they're going to have to work harder because productivity is a part of uh, this deal. Uh, the increases are in around 2.5% overall, 1,200 to 2,500 depending uh, on which nurse will receive an increase but some nurses will suffer as well, particularly younger nurses uh, with increments at point two having uh, to be foregone in order to pay for this it's yeah the, the deal is it's complicated in the sense that I think every every individual nurse will have to sit down and see what it means for them because there are certain qualification changes being put in there in terms of what you're entitled to their pay so some people will be getting more money than others uh, years of service will matter in this and as you say there is some productivity in there as well and um, it's nowhere near what the nurses had been demanding. Mm. Uh, that's the first thing to say. It, it is absolutely 100 miles from what was being sought uh, by the unions going into the Labour Court over the last few days. But I suppose, on the flip side, they could never really have expected to have got what they were looking for in one blow. So it perhaps opens up a dialogue. It, 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 it shows now, they've shown their teeth, if you like, um, and as this process moves forward and we move into the next pay deal mm. uh, in after 2020, um, that there may be now mechanisms and a recognition, recognition that something more has to be given to nurses. Perhaps so, but uh, equally you could argue that the ministers will be feeling pretty pleased with themselves. 
Yeah, well, pleased may be a harsh word. I think mm. they're in so many storms at the minute. I relieved might be a better word. Yeah. Um, that at least this has been, uh, they, they needed a break, if you like, and, and the fact that the strike was called off today uh, okay. was something of a break. Uh, and uh, Simon Harris, uh, to give a, an apology of sorts, that uh, apology uh, may be welcomed by some, but it won't appease all. No, like, like everything in politics, sorry is often the hardest word to say. What he's going to do, uh, I gathered this afternoon, is give a personal explanation. Uh, and this relates to a, a, an answer, a written answer given uh, back in September, where he basically said that the hospital project was on plan uh, and didn't give any indications that actually in the background uh, there was huge concerns about the costs rising. Um, and it, I suppose he didn't lie to the doll, if you like, so... Mm. Uh, but can you mislead by omission? And I, what he'll be saying today is that, look, if he could go back to September, he would have added in a few lines to his answer and basically said, well, everything is technically on 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 on, um, on, on target at the minute. Mm. We have concerns and we'll have to come back in the next few weeks when we are clear on what the full costs are going to be. Mm. Uh, is it enough? Uh, do you believe uh, the minister's future is secure? I think so, because uh, whether it's enough or not, I think it's probably irrelevant because it, Fianna Fáil decide his fate and Fianna Fáil have decided they are not uh, going to breach the confidence and supply arrangement because that has inevitable consequences, the obvious one being uh, a general election mm. uh, very, very quickly. And with Brexit in the background, Fianna Fáil have decided this is not the time. Now, I think the one narrow bit that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael can, can probably agree in is that they'd like to get the Simon Harris bit over with. Uh, get the apology. Sinn Féin have their motion, no confidence. Get that over with as soon as possible. They'd probably be happier if that was this week rather than next week. That's still up for debate as to when it's going to happen. Um, but Fianna Fáil will still keep the uh, crisis around the Children's Hospital rumbling and they'll still keep asking questions. But I think they want to get past the uh, head-in-the-plate scenario hmm. uh, because that doesn't help their cause either. Then what about the cuts? Uh, because uh, there'll be 100 million of uh, cuts this year alone because of uh, the overrun and uh, the cost of uh, developing uh, the children's hospital, uh, 50 in health, 30 in transport and the other 20 across uh, five different government departments. Uh, there'll also be the cost of uh, the pay increase uh, for the nurses, which I think will be around 20 million this year, probably 35 million next year. Uh, and then there's the possibility of knock-on claims because uh, that agreement may be in breach of uh, the public service pay agreement uh, and we could be seeing uh, a whole raft of cuts as a result. Yeah, watch what's going to happen on this one, Michael, uh, as the day plays out because I think you will probably see Pascal Donoghue telling us later that this 100 million is small beans, uh, which I, I, I think is interesting because when they announce government schemes or they announce funding for roads or projects, and 100 million is always seen. It's a massive money, a big announcement, a great day for the parish mm. uh, kind of scenario. But today we're going to be told that 100 million is not actually that much money uh, in the scheme of a 7.3 billion euro capital plan. Um, the hit list, as we're, as we're calling it, uh, the big one is the A5 motorway. Shane Ross in the Department of Transport has funding for that. Uh, but there's a whole load of delays. This is the motorway, which uh, many of your listeners would, mm. would be familiar with. Um, essentially, is going to link Dublin to Derry and on to Letterkenny. Um, but there are planning issues and other problems with that. So the argument the government will be making there is that it's not ready to go ahead anyway. So that money is only resting in an account so it can be used this way. Um, €3 million euro is going to come from flood defences. 
uh, that's unlikely to be a, a popular move as well. Uh, that's from the OPW. Um, and then the Rural Regeneration Fund, which was a, a one announced as part of the Project Ireland uh, that the government toured the country, uh, boasting about there will be some money held back this year that they had planned to launch uh, this year for, for rural regeneration, and that will probably be pushed back into next year. So it's all these little cuts um, across the board that they're trying to spread it out to get that $100 million uh, to shore up and make sure that the, uh, the Children's Hospital seems to be getting priority above all else in government uh, to make sure that it doesn't fall behind. All right, well, uh, there'll be a lot to take in today, uh, but thanks uh, for joining us in advance uh, and uh, for your time for that matter. That's Kevin Doyle Group, political editor with INM. That's uh, the Independent News and Media Group. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, Garda are investigating a number of local incidents and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Detective Garda Tracy Brennan of Laytown Station joins us for this week's report and we'll begin in RD where Garda are investigating the theft or theft from a vehicle. Uh, that's correct, Michael. Um, on the 8th of February uh, 2019, um, a male parked up his car for the day and went about his business in the Richardstown area of RD. When he returned, he noticed that both the number plates, the registration plates of the car were taken. The registration plates were 04LS for leash 3231. Um, so if anyone was around the Richardstown area of RD on the 8th of February to contact RD Garda Station on 041 687 Or indeed, I'm sure if anybody sees uh, those reg plates, you'd be very anxious to hear from them. Do you wish to repeat the numbers again? Yes, uh, the registration numbers is 04LS3231. So that's 04LEASH3231. OK, we go to Dundalk in a, a filling station uh, which was uh, subject of a, a robbery. That's correct, Michael. At... Um, 2.45 on the 10th of February, a male entered the shop with a large red knife in his hand. He threatened staff and demanded money from the till. The staff handed over a small amount of cash and the male left the shop on foot in the direction of Castle Ross. Now this male is described as being a young teenager, approximately 5 foot 8 in height, and he was wearing a navy bubble jacket um, with the logo 11 degrees on it, black runners and a black tracksuit bottoms. Um, now, nobody was injured in this robbery, thank God, and the Gardaí at Dundalk are looking for listeners' help in solving this crime, and they can be contacted on 042-9388-400. So that's the Maxall filling station on the Castletown Road area of Dundalk there on the 10th of, Fe- of February. All right, uh, to Ashburn and uh, a fire at Ballybin Road, uh, which uh, Gardaí are investigating because of uh, the damage uh, which you believed uh, was caused intentionally, is it? That's correct, Michael. This happened yesterday evening at approximately 7pm on the Ballybin Road in Ashburn. Now, this is a road that's commonly used and would be quite busy at that time at 7pm. Um, it, it's the road from Ashburn to Rathout. Um, Gardy received a call that there was a house on fire. Now, this is a derelict house um, and has been derelict for some time. However, when the Gardaí arrived, it was totally engulfed in flames. And the Gardaí are a- asking our listeners' help if they saw anything suspicious or know of anything on this area in the Ballybin Road um, yesterday evening at approximately 7pm to contact them at Ashburn Garda Station on 01 801 0600. 
to Dulik in an attempted burglary on the post office. That's correct, uh, Michael. An attempted burglary in the early hours of the 11th of February. Um, the alarm went off at approximately half twelve that night and uh, there was significant damage done to the roof of this premises. Now, there was no entry gained or no property taken, but this is... Um, a number of attempted burglaries like this and burglaries, in fact, have happened in the area over the past number of weeks where entry has been gained through the roof and a number of items in that taken. So the Guardian in Dulik are anxious to seek our listeners' help in relation to solving this and trying to prevent this from happening. Now, the Guardian Dulik can be contacted on 041 or Ashburn Garda Station on 018010600. All right, uh, to Enfield uh, next, and uh, Gardaí in Trim uh, investigating a burglary at a, a cafe in Enfield over the weekend. That's correct. On Saturday night at approximately 11pm, uh, the cafe was broken into and a small amount of items taken from it. And the Gardaí are anxious to solve this burglary. Um, it's a busy wee cafe, Cafe, and it happened at approximately 11 p.m. at night. And if anyone was around the area in Enfield, to contact Enfield Garda Station on 0446 954 1002 or at Trim Garda Station on 046 948 OK, and we'll conclude uh, this week with a, a theft that uh, occurred at the business park in Dundalk. That's correct. This theft happened on the 6th of February at approximately 20 past nine in the morning at Altec business premises. Um, three males travelling in a white Ford Transit van. Um, no registration number came into the property, looked around and took a number of items uh, from the property and left. They had no permission to be there and the Guardian are anxious to um, speak with anyone who saw the, these three males in this white van to contact them at Dundalk Garda Station on 042 9388 Thank you indeed. Uh, Detective Garda Tracy Brennan of Laytown Garda Station will return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Before we leave you today, in the minute or two that we have left, though, let's return to you and uh, some more of uh, the thoughts and comments you've been sharing with us. Uh, Marie, what have you got there? Michael Margaret phoned in just uh, at the end of your interview there with Pat Cusack and says that she found it very hard to listen to and can't imagine what he and the other victims of Dr. Shine went through. She says Pat has been through so much and I hope that he and the other victims can get on with their life now. It's terrible mm. that it took so long to get here. The victims of Michael Shine, uh, he's not a doctor anymore. He was struck off uh, one time, doctor. Uh, let's just call him yes, Shine. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, Another listener, I'm delighted that mm. Shine has been found guilty. I was a female teen in the 70s and I was aware that this was going on. I hope he gets all that he deserves, okay. says this listener. Then Kevin was back in touch, Michael. Kevin was the listener who mm. rang in to take mm. you to task about yeah. the comments you yeah. made about yeah. the, yeah. the, the yeah. Fianna Fáil. Mm. And mm. Kevin says that was the most arrogant reply he ever heard. Oh, well, there you go. He says, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she says, I don't know how you work with him, Marie. Ah, there cut, you go. He yeah, cut yeah. you off like I would cut off a ah, bit sure. of timber whatever. with saw. Whatever. And he says, whatever. he whatever. hopes you pull whatever. your horns in, Whatever, Michael, whatever. people ring in with genuine comments whatever. and doesn't expect you to discredit them. Ah, Kevin, life's too short. Tony in County Loud says, Michael, isn't it remarkable that you have a full conversation with a Sinn Féin rep who could only mention murderous acts carried out by groups connected with British for- forces and not a mention of Tom Oliver, Oliver or the Casablady farmyard murder. A bit of a one-sided expedition to Brussels, was it not, says Tony in County Louth. Well, I don't know. I think uh, Rory Homurku uh, accepted uh, the idea that Tom Oliver would be included in legacy issues, uh, but uh, we'll leave you to decide that yourself. We have to leave it there, though, because our time has run out on us once again. Before we go, though, let me remind you that a podcast of today's programme will be available on our website, lmfm.ie, in the afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.